I think Bruno Mars probably feels the same stress that any at any level, whether you're Bruno Mars, an indie band, a starting starting out person who's getting some buzz, just starting out. You know, with time, you you perceive these other people as oh, they're set, they've made it. It's really not that much. It's not that kind of dichotomy of a black and white mm. thing where you you cross some threshold and then you're like ah no I think everybody's worried about their next record their next thing their next stand up special no matter what the level. Hello everyone, I'm Abinov Jan, and this is the Real Abinov Audio Experience. Welcome to the Real Abinov Audio Experience. This is your host, Abinov Jan, and I aspire to make this podcast go beyond the surface. In this podcast, I intend to bring you insights from the topmost performers, no matter what industry they're in. We talk about how they've done things differently to grow their minds and keep their physical and mental health in shape. My mission with this podcast is to help overwhelmed individuals learn ways to reduce their depression, anxiety, and live with peace and love. I just want to take a moment to thank our sponsors, Blossom Media Studio. Thank you so much for creating and distributing my podcast and taking away literally every single thing that's involved with podcasting so I can just spend the time to talk to my guests and create great episodes. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Real Abinov Audio Experience today. As always, I have a special guest with me. I got AJ Comedy in the house. Ami Kozak is his real name. I met the guy on TikTok. I reached out. I really wanted to know a little bit more about the man behind the camera. This guy does all kinds of things. He's a musician. He's an impressionist, an impressive one at that. And I really wanted to get into this discussion with you and figure out more about how you get to where you are. You're, you seem so confident on camera, man. And I just want to like dive in because I, a lot of the kids that follow me are trying to better themselves. And, you know, what better way to kind of do that through and, you know, through laughter, I guess. Right. So first and foremost, thanks so much for being here. So as far as like confidence on camera, like, I don't know, I just kind of do it sometimes, but I'm just <laughs> kidding. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> Figured I just, now of course for two seconds, why not loosen it up? But thanks for having me on. Abinoff. I appreciate it. And thanks for reaching out. In doing my shtick there, I forgot your initial prompt question. It's all good, man. Well, let's get into it. Yeah. I mean, maybe give me a little quick like story of like yeah. how you got to where you are. My journey is uh, an interesting one in that I actually am a professional musician. And for the good part of a decade, I've been doing music for film and television. Wow. And, uh, you know, I've always identified strongly as a musician from, you know, the beginnings of my youth in high school been singing since I was a kid and playing music, played in bands in high school, attended the Berkeley College of Music, where I studied music for film and television and began working in uh, in that world about a decade ago, doing a lot of music for ads. And then as I moved out to LA, I'm originally from New Jersey. Now I've been in LA for the good part of nine years and have been doing music for film, television, commercials. I have a band here called Distant Cousins. We've had a lot of our music used in you know, television shows. We've done a lot of theme song work. So I've been doing that professionally in that grind for a long time. So in terms of, you know, grit and building up a bit of resilience, I think that was very much a helpful, it's been a helpful time for me. You know, in this industry, you deal with a lot of just pounding the pavement, grinding through, dealing with rejection and not taking it personally and knowing that you're just trying to hone your craft and for a long time, I found comedy to be something so close to my identity because I've always been, you know, the funny one in my 
peer group and making people laugh and doing impersonations. It didn't just come out of nowhere. I've been doing it forever. But on a prof- as a professional pursuit, it was sort of couched away as this neglected child, if you will. I, I, I focused most of my energies on my music and I was doing that. And comedy just always felt I didn't intentionally avoid doing it, but I don't think I went in that direction for a while because it was really such a personal thing to me. And the idea of, of putting that kind of stuff on display to the same kind of brutal environment that, you know, that my music would go through, which had built up a lot of resilience over time. Every time I even kind of thought about it, I was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah I don't know. It kind of, I, I had my hesitancies about it, even though I didn't actively avoid doing it. It's more also just that when you're doing well in a specific area, your, your yep. energies tend to be consumed by that. Right. So the idea of taking it to the next level from just a personality trait and something that I do socially for fun as part of what I do as part of who I am being, a, you know, being funny as opposed to becoming a comedian. I didn't make that jump until I would say January of 2020 when I began posting on TikTok on a regular basis, I took the opportunity to use TikTok as as a platform in which I was going to actually approach differently than other times of social media. While it was still fresh, not a household name yet, I was going to actually use it not as a way to do promotion, as I had done with musical stuff in the past, which always never felt right. It was always kind of yucky. It was always, hey, come check out our show. We're playing here at this place. And then it never really occurred to me like, to actually make content that suits the platform that's actually entertaining in and of itself. In other words, in using TikTok, I began to realize that this is a stage in and of itself. It's not a means to something else. So I treated TikTok a little bit that way by simply posting consistently five days a week. I took off for the weekends, one video a day, didn't matter. And I actually started like early 2019 on Instagram before there was really TikTok happening, just making all sorts of content, music stuff, some jokes, some comedy stuff, whatever, just throwing stuff up against the wall. And then one day after posting like very consistently for a few months on TikTok to very little, little uh, reaction, I was in my car and I uh, came across came across a Gary Vee video on, uh, on my feed, on my For You page. Did you know him beforehand? Yeah, yeah, I knew okay. him. I, I mean, yeah, as a force, I knew I knew him, but I wasn't but like, like anybody else, I was just doing random impressions every single day from different people, whoever I could think of, you know, throw up a Gilbert Gottfried impression or a politician, whatever it might be. You know, so I always would throw something up. Oh, do like a Bernie Sanders, Barack Obama, all those kinds of, I was just throwing stuff up and you know, you get a little bit of feedback, a little bit of reaction. And then I'm like, oh, who am I going to do today? I'm sitting in my car. It's like 4 PM. And I came across Gary Vee. I'm like, oh, let me try Gary Vee. So I throw up my video and I say, I'm just so sick of fucking like 20, 40 year olds complaining that like they're not killing it. Like if you want to win, fucking move to Louisiana and start a fucking peanut butter bread, right? Like (laughs) fucking peanut butter. All right. So I watched this video and I'm holding my phone and you know, there's like the cancel, do it again, cancel, post, cancel. I'm like, you know, I probably could get it better. I could probably hone it a little bit more. Right. But I just post it. An hour later goes by. 10,000 views. I was like, whoa, what the scanning 14,000 refresh 20. So I'm having that kind of moment that a lot of people can attest to who've had some stuff pop off on TikTok, And I'm just like, whoa, that is so interesting. And long story short, that was like on a Thursday over the course of the weekend, the video surged on TikTok. Someone from Barstool Sports reached out to me via TikTok and then Instagram that they wanted to share the video on their page. On Monday, they shared it to their page to about 7 million followers on, on that platform. And that was that video. And then 
you know, within the span of a few days, I went from like a couple hundred people following me on Instagram to a few thousand. And then TikTok began to just go on this upwards trajectory from like, you know, a couple hundred people to like a thousand, two thousand, three, ten, that kind of thing started happening. But I don't want people who hear the story to, to make the mistake of thinking this is just like an overnight win the lottery success. Right. I think what happened was my consistent approach to TikTok, being a frequent user of the platform, allowed the platform to also be a uh, facilitator for me. Like it helped me. And I think the way these platforms work is you don't just go in for years. I always thought, okay, we got to make a piece of viral content. You put all of your stake into one thing and you forget about the uh, quantity consistency game of, of really being a presence. You know, these platforms are, it's like walking into a club you've never played, going in, getting up on stage and saying, okay, I put a huge, amazing set together and nobody's there because you mm. haven't over time built up a thing. And, I've, and I came to realize a little bit through this process using TikTok that it really is this long game of slowly building following of people who are into what I'm doing and connecting to what I'm doing. And yes, along the way, videos pop off and it feels amazing and you have those indicators of what works and what doesn't. But like, I'm, and, and even to this day, I'm not set out to be the a professional Gary V impersonator or impressionist. I'm, I do, I do, but it, but it did, but I did lean hard into that area because it did connect and it was a fun thing to do. And I got some good advice about doing that because every time I post Gary videos, there's still people who have never seen it before. So that's always right. Fun. And at the end of it all, it was just a really interesting lesson in it helped that moment was sort of a crystallizing moment and saying, okay, I'm going to do comedy for real. I'm going to develop comedic content. And on the heels of that, I started developing some stand-up. I had done one stand-up set, which was my one of my first ones in front of a crowd outdoors. The beginning, it was like February of 2020, and it was, you know, it had its painful, it has its painful first-time moments, but I did get through it. And I did like 20 minutes on stage with very little prepared material, winging it and doing the best that I could, because it's like a long story short, a, a musical friend of mine booked me, and I did it as a comedy set. And I was ready to hit the to, to start to start hitting like the rotation of open mics, working out comedy, stand up stuff. However, we all know what happened in 2020 after that. And then psh, we all hunkered down. So I doubled down on just doing more content creation alongside all the musical stuff that I do, as you see behind me. So yeah. daily began, you know, developing more comedic content and have been growing since then on TikTok. And then my Jordan Peterson one popped off on YouTube, which had like a couple hundred people subscribed that went to now it's at 13,000 on YouTube subscribers. So I've got a quick favor to ask of you. If you've been enjoying this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you could take one minute of your time and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way and I'd really, really, really appreciate it. If you've already done that, thank you again. Please share this episode with someone you know, a friend or family member, download the episode or share the link, whatever works for you. Now let's get back to it. Interesting things, but I'm learning the process of just being consistent and I can talk more about how I was able to set myself up to do that if you want, but I've been going Definitely. on for a while. But that's the basic story of how I became also equal parts comedian. Man, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, on a relatability factor, I can tell you I was a musician and all throughout high school, different bands and all did drumline, you know, always was into music. Realized that I couldn't continue that forward because I had to figure out how to make money and <laughs> I didn't really go that route. So I went into engineering very tough life, you know, trying to figure out how to be it's very technical, got very stressed out, a lot of anxiety. And that led me to kind of question more about like my lifestyle. Like, what is it that really is important? You know, I won't go too much into my story here, but what really hit me with your content was actually, like you said, the Gary Vee stuff actually was what found what I found you from. And I was just really impressed at someone that wasn't ashamed of 
putting themselves out there, not being, not being, you know, you didn't care if you got ridiculed. Actually, I don't know. So I guess that's probably what I would be thinking. It's like, how did you deal with like that sort of inner chatter of like self-judgment that we all have whenever we try to do something new that's a little outside of our comfort zone? You know, you having been an established musician, now doing this other thing, which you did, but now you're doing it publicly. How did that feel? Like, how did you navigate that? I think that it's actually funny because I've been doing music professionally for way longer than, than comedy, but with music, it's a lot more subjective to me in what is, you know, going to work or what, what, even though I've, I've found my sort of path in what, in, in, in successful endeavors that I've done, I'm never quite sure sometimes when I'm developing original music, how it's going to go. My instincts are a little bit like, it's a little more partial to like how, how people respond to it. Like I'll say, I'll write something, whether it's a song or this or that. And then it always depends on like the first people I show it to that it where before I could fully know how I feel about it, you know, in a way, because, because I'm so close to it. Like when I listen to a song, I'll know if I like it or not. And I'll be like, Oh, this is awesome. Or maybe it'll grow on me, but I don't think about it too much. But when it's your, when it's your own and you're very close to it, it's very hard to know, like yeah. to separate your personal taste from your own music and judging your own music that way. So I'm always a little more dependent. I would say on, you know, showing it to guys in my band or showing it to an audience and then wondering if it's like, you know, before I can say, yeah, no, it is good. It is solid. And over time I've gotten better. My sensibilities have gotten sharper of being able to not care as much about, you know, outside validation of it, but only that happens over time after doing it. But with comedy, I never have that issue. It's just like, if I think it's funny, it's funny. And if not everyone thinks it's funny, like, all right, fine. It just doesn't bother me. Like if it makes me laugh first, that's my first sign of like, I'm onto something. And then if I can, as I'm becoming more consistent with like working at the craft of comedy and writing bits and sketches and sketches and doing these kinds of things, like I, I understand that things need to get reworked and rehashed and get put through the ringer, especially if I'm going to start doing, you know, as I start to, you know, consider the stand up world and going out and performing and working out bits live, which is a whole different beast. Yeah. But in the meantime, I've been doing videos and like comedic content and it's almost like sketch kind of stuff in, in a way. And if some people don't like it, then, you know, they didn't get it or whatever. And maybe I didn't communicate it much, but I still found it funny. So like, I don't need them to laugh to tell me it's funny. I laughed first when I thought of it. Gotcha. And with comedy, it's so immediate to me. So I, I just like, even if a video flops, I'm not like, oh, that was so stupid. That wasn't funny. I'm like, oh, that was funny. But yeah, they didn't think it was funny. On to the next one. And that's all you can do. You know, were you always like that? Like as a kid, you were just kind of like that? Or did you develop that muscle of kind of being just, you know, okay with however things turn out? Like, tell, tell me a little bit about that. No, no, definitely not. Definitely not. For years, it was always like, I mean, as like through adolescence, teenage years and stuff, I found that like being funny, especially socially and making people laugh you know, I, I felt a lot of pressure from that to maintain mm. that, to maintain that label and identity to like perform at a certain level in a crowd. I mean, I love attention and I love pe making people laugh. Like I've, I've always sought that out, but for a long time, I had a lot of, for years, I had like hangups about it. If there's a big thing happening, what if I, 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 you know, I'd have to sort of overcompensate and try to match if I, if I had a good, whatever, something as ordinary as like a weekend with friends or something like that, or like uh, a big get together. And I, 
quote, crushed and was cracking people up and stuff. That would create dual confidence in me and dread of like insecurity. Like, what if mm. I lose that? What if I don't have that? Right. This, this, this and this and this, like the constant, it would, it would awaken both the angels and demons in me of like, like I said, I think as artists and creative people, you, we naturally are like 50% confidence and 50% doubt. Like I can do anything and I can do nothing. Like I'm, you, I'm, I'm beautiful and can have so much to give to the world or I'm worthless and have nothing. So that exists in me. But over time I've been able to, I, I think it's, I think it's a, a, a you know, just a process of maturity and growing up. And a lot of that's emotional and, you know, the, the state that you're in when you're a teenager and embattled like everybody is. So I think naturally that happens and, you know, getting coming to terms with your own kind of mental stability and getting your life together. And, you know, I eventually was able to, I think, reconcile that whatever I am, I am. I don't have to live up to any previous version of myself in any sort of way. Mm. Like, and I stopped, this was a really fundamental shift in my attitude was that I really remember at a time for a very long period of time in my life, in my early years as like a teenager, I used to perceive myself when I pictured myself in the outside world, I was watching myself like as if I was a spectator, like someone on stage while you're on yes. stage, you're imagining like would, the audience. If I was I imagining know. how something was going to go, I sat in the audience and watched, mm. I took an audience's perspective, which I think I, I did that sort of uh, subconsciously like that that was my default, but it put so much pressure on me as if I was always on display or always performing. And something happened over the course of my life through different trials and tribulations, you know, messy stuff that, you know, can trip you up. But through the, you know, battles of like mental health and going through all these kinds of depression and anxiety and all these things that are sort of like very humbling and bring you down to sort of the, the, the bottom, I kind of was able to rebuild my sense of self looking outwards, you know? In what, in what way? Yeah. Not, not, I don't picture myself out there in the world, like as if I'm an audience member watching myself and mm. that will fare I picture myself looking out the way I'm looking at you now. Like if I'm, I'm perceiving something or if I'm, if I'm visualizing something or if I'm, uh, whether it's a show coming up, how that's going to go. I don't look at the show like this and say, how am I going to look up there? And mm. I'm, I'm the judge. No, I'm at one with that future self, past self, present self looking out. I don't identify with some other f inverted thing. So once I got rid of that mirror, things, you know, and I'm not sure how, how much of a conscious thing that was that I, but I, I realized I started doing it maybe way after the fact, but I'm like, yeah, I, I I'm not no longer going to constantly picture myself on display on, on a stage, on a platform. It's just me. Yeah. No, that's really important because I found it that when I started to create content, one of the hardest things is, you know, you can't help but like think about the end user that would see this, right? Like you have those people's potential like thoughts and what they would think in your mind while you're creating it. It's almost like taking you away from the present moment. Now you're in this hypothetical of like, how is, how are they going to think when I say this or what is going to happen there? You know, and like, I still want to kind of drill down on that a little bit because it sounds like today you're not in that place, but for, for someone that is still in that place, was there something that you could guide or, or like share with, with us around how to get over that sort of like, I guess, self judging mirror or like, you know, like, what would you say about that? 
So it depends at how uh, like debilitated a person is, right? If you need to get medication to like get yourself mentally stable so you can function out there in the world, do what you have to do. Like, mm. you know, there's that part of it too. Like sometimes it's like the only, I don't take issue with Gary Vee stuff. It's all in fun and games. But the idea of just saying to just will something into existence, I don't necessarily buy. Sometimes it's deep, darker than that or it's worse or it's environmental. So First, get yourself to a baseline, you know, like mm -hmm. whatever that takes therapy, if you need it, medication, if you need it, don't have hangups about it. You're not compromising who you are. You're just deciding to try to live in a formidable, try to be formidable in a difficult world and an environment around you and doing whatever you need to do. Some people take vitamins for this. Some people have diabetes and take insulin. Some people have, you know chemical issues up here and they need to get that right so that they can be who they want to be. And what is that? That's just, you know, the manifestation of, of you being able to function and participate in the world and uh, at your at your optimal level or at, at at least a functioning level so that you can do something. So make sure you get to that point first, because sometimes that gets bundled up in people who have other issues they need to deal with about self-esteem, you mm -hmm. know, and insecurity. Like your creative stuff is not going to is not going to thrive if underneath that you actually are just feeling insecure about yourself. You know what I'm right, saying? Right. Like a better sense of self. And I do think like they do go hand in hand to some, in some respects, like doing things, uh, getting good at something, getting successful at something or getting good feedback from something can make you feel good. But sometimes if you're too wrapped up in, in doing it so that people can validate it and make you feel good, as opposed to the fulfillment of just doing it, whether someone's going to like it, whatever or not, if you're not into, if you can process get yourself into the, of course, I get it. I didn't, I wanted to not use that word because it's, because you're like, I'm going to be Gary Vee for real now. <laughs> but like enjoying that, not in, independent of how people react to it. That's a separate great thing that can yeah. happen in a separate, a, a separate encouragement. But otherwise, the second the video flops, you're going to think you're worthless. And if the video mm. does great, you're, think you're amazing. Like you cannot be dependent on other people's judgments, even though they matter and you have to factor it in. Your sense of worth and self and all that is deeper. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm married. I have four kids. Like. Holy shit, you have four kids? Yeah, so there's like wow. deeper things to root yourself in, relationships and family and those kind of things to get to try to work on that, you know, then everything else out of that doesn't, you know, we'll 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 still take hard work and effort and grind, but as long as you're you know what I'm saying like you have to separate your sense of yeah. okayness and stability from whatever it is you're participating first and then that stuff can be tackled yeah. or it can be done at the same time but just know that one is not dependent on the other. Yeah. I love what you said about like finding that kind of baseline, that level of like making sure you are okay and not just like anxious from the get go. Because if you start with that attitude and you're starting to be, you know, putting yourself out there, being creative, you're, you're just starting from, you know, not level ground, right? You're just, you're just kind of setting yourself up for, for a bad experience. So I found that myself and that's a lot of what I try to talk about as well, especially with like, you know, kids these days that are now have access to like weed and stuff. And a lot of people think that that helps you be creative, but they don't understand that it also makes you very anxious if you don't have that sort of level grounding on your being. And if you don't understand who you really are at your core, it can really stir things up, right? So I feel like for people that are creative, there's, there's probably nothing better than finding that, that level ground that you can always check in with yourself and, and make sure that you have that grounding before you go out and do other things. And I, I love what you said about like, those aren't, those aren't, I mean, they can be related, but you have to have that foundation piece first before you. Yeah. Yeah. I'll also add, like, I'm fortunate in the sense of 
knowing that I wanted to do music from a young age. And, you know, I was, I was already aware of what I was passionate about for a long, long time and independent of sort of career and all that, that you needed, you need to make it work. Like the idea is that, you know, being able to do something, like find something that you love to do, regardless of whether you were paid to do it or not is a real blessing. And it's, it's something that, you know, I don't take for granted, mm. you know, for, for a lot of people out there, they're still trying to figure out what that thing might be that they might want to turn into a living. Like, I think a lot of people, you know, they, they look at prominence or fame or something, especially in the entertainment business as I want to do all this so that I can get famous. I want to post this video so that I can get famous. Hey, how to become TikTok famous and famous. I'll show you how to grow your following. And there's all this talk about following and growth and, exp and like, and I really think a lot of that, not to be so, so self-righteous about it, and judgy, but I think a lot of it comes from people wanting to feel val validated and loved, not wanting to be content creators. They just see content creation as a brief way to kind of get instantly viral. Like my goal is I want to go viral. I want to do all those things. I want to get all those followers, but I want to do that as a means to be able to do these things that I love to do. I don't want to do these things as a means to go viral and have a ton of followers. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's like having your principles down before you look for the hacks. A lot of people are going for the hacks and they don't have any basic principles down. Yeah. Life. But also the idea is that like, I want to make music and I want to make jokes and, and funny videos and maybe, and do stand up and do these kinds of things. Like I want to do these things. So now when it comes to money and support, I want to engage a bunch of people and develop a following so that I could be supported so that I could do these things that I love to do. Like that's the end goal to do these things. Mm -hmm. So Finding fulfillment in the process, like love the process, right? Finding fulfillment in the process is true. Like, and therefore it's, it's, it becomes not a means to get validation from the outside world. The validation is just a way to, to let you know that what you're doing is allowing people to connect with you, support you and continue doing what you're doing. Right. Making records, making music, recording songs, making albums, you know, touring, whatever it is I plan on want to be doing and continue to do the reason I'm seeking the the wider audience and support is to continue to do it, not doing it so that I could get the wider audience. I love that. I mean, priority is really important. Maybe we can talk a little bit about like sort of the earlier days of, of your career, perhaps maybe as a musician or when you were into you know wanting to do comedy more when, you know, talk to me about like how you navigated sort of like that super anxious state that we can sometimes get into and, and like maybe any thoughts you have around like how that would help somebody else, you know, like just massive anxiety around like just creative people, because like you said earlier, you had the standard that you felt you had to uphold because you've given people a taste of something. And I kind of relate to that where I can get into conversations with people in a room and they're like, wow, this guy's a lot, a lot of passion, a lot of energy. He really charges me up. And then you, the next day you wake up, you're like, man, where did all that go? Like, I don't feel like that again. So it's almost like you're, you're, you know, we're always moving through time and we're always you know, changing in our emotional states, but anxiety is one of those things that I feel is, it's, it's, it's more talked about today than it was maybe even five years ago. But what has that been like for you, the journey of kind of like getting yourself to be less anxious about the process that you're in and just, you know, getting yourself balanced again? Right. I think, um, like I said, getting all the, all the, you know, working parts in order first of just whatever you need to do to be mentally healthy. So what is that for you? It's get you know, it's just taking care of yourself. It's being, you know, it's, it's making sure that you're sleeping, making sure that you're, you're trying to do the best. I, I don't do enough working out or anything like that, but it's all those things. 
And, you know, without getting too into it, you know, you're taking whatever you need to take to stay stable. You know, you gotta, you gotta do what you have to do. And I'm one of them. Like, it's fine. Like everybody's gotta, you know, I, I won't, I don't have to get into specifics, but obviously what I'm indicating is if you need to take medication to get yourself right, whether it's anti-depressions, anti-anxiety, whatever your hangup may be, mm. like getting over the hangup of having to do that. Because like I said before, some people take insulin for their diabetes. Some people need a supplement because they lack iron. Some people need a supplement because things go a little too haywire here and it makes them whatever. But we're all physical, physiological beings. So being able to separate, like being able to not stigmatize mental health issues as in any other health physical issues. Right. The problem is it's very much for people linked to their sense of identity in themselves, like issues that may be going on in their head. And there may be other issues too, like whether it's family issues or personal issues that are causing other neuroses. In my case, that wasn't really the issue, but I was definitely, I definitely went through my struggles of mental health stuff when I was younger in my teenage years that were really ultimately manifested physiologically in a lot of anxiety and a lot of that back and forth stuff that with natural maturing, I was able to deal with and also medication and other things. Right. I was able to get to a stable place and people shouldn't have to be averse to that. I'm not encouraging one thing or another. People have to do what works for them. Sure. But whether it's an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety or a mood stabilizer, or whatever you have to take like in that realm, if that's something that helps you, then it's totally appropriate. And that's yeah. totally fine. If it's therapy and you need to talk things out because you have other things, if you have histories of trauma that you need to deal with, like, these are all things that are causing emotional distress and nobody would say anything if, uh, if you were dealing with physical distress and that was holding you back. If you had an ulcer in your stomach before dealing with your podcast, you got to fix your ulcer. You know, you got to, if you're having a bro, if you have a broken elbow, don't worry about your podcast yet or your song or your this and that. Fix your elbow. You, right. you know, don't judge yourself harshly. Make sure your arm is working and you're not in physical pain you know, and you're healed and recovered and therefore maintaining a, a, a healthy, holistic, uh, you know, a holistic sense of health. Everything is in decent enough shape that you can then, in, you know, take part in the grueling grinding mm. work of, of all this other stuff of creative endeavors. I, I think underlying all of that is another thing that I'm sensing is becoming aware of what it is that's going on within you and then having the sort of you know, ability to go after fixing whatever that is. Like, for example, for me, you know, if I, when I was starting to feel like my health was really bad, I knew that I had to do something about it, you know? So re recognizing your patterns of, of behavior, emotional states, you know, I always recommend like keeping a journal or writing down like how you feel is a really good way of checking in to see like, okay, what is the pattern of my experience inside of myself? Because it is very hard to like just quantify that unless you have some sort of work associated with recognizing that. So it is, I think, coming down to like, realize what it is that, you know, your idiosyncrasy, whatever the fuck that word is, right? You know, whatever your nuances are, fix those. And then you get to a place where now you're balanced and you can then go out and do all kinds of fun stuff, right? Because you're not going to be worried about, oh man, my elbow is broken. Like going back to that example, I can't throw a ball fix your elbow and now you can throw a ball. Now you can do other things with that arm. Right. So that's, I that's say beautiful. that as a way to help people construct a notion of like not separating any kind of mental or emotional distress mm. from other physical stresses you may have. Right. In other words, it's easy for people to say, Oh, I broke my knee. I'm going to be in bed for three weeks and you know, that's it. And then it'll get better. And it's not like there's something wrong with my 
sense of self or I don't feel, you know. I want to take another quick moment to thank our sponsors, Podcast Backdrops. If you do any kind of video content or pictures online or you're doing any sort of selling over Zoom calls, you really need to check them out because it will make you look professional from the get-go. Having your brand, your logo, and what you're all about behind you, hiding all your clutter, makes you look so much more professional when you put yourself out there on the internet. So check out Podcast Backdrops if you want to level up your game. There's no reason why it would make you feel worthless or not capable. If you had a broken knee, it's easy to sort of visually identify what your problem is. Mm. When it's inside, when it's in here and it's Mm. causing problems inside, it becomes a lot more amorphous. It becomes bundled with your sense of identity. And I can see why for a lot of people need a little more light in here. I can see why a little more, why a lot of people would have trouble visualizing that as, as its own sort of physical issue as well. But people think it's, and also, like the outside world doesn't really get it. If people can't empathize with it or experience it, you're not you're not going to get the same kind of reaction as somebody says, "Oh man, feel better. You heard you, heard you busted your knee. You know, feel better." You know, even people who haven't broken their knee can can better sympathize with a situation like that than people who see that you're having trouble get out of bed because you're depressed and you can't go through the motions and you feel numb and you nothing nothing is validating to mm-hmm. you. Nothing is is uh, you know, giving you an impulse to do anything. And nobody kind of understands that paralysis that people feel if you haven't experienced it yet. It's much harder. So you do feel lonely or you do feel trapped. You do feel like more isolated. But at the end of the day, if you can look at it as just another, you know, physiological thing, you have to, it's it's, it's all part of the same body. Everything in here is all kind of happening chemically. So if there's a way to handle that, whether it's whether it's medically or whether it's through therapy or whatever, or, or, or even outside of that, even if it's just, maybe it's just talking to your people or working at whatever means you can to make yourself feel better and more stable. Those are the kind of things you have to do. And it's not always squeaky clean that you get yourself fully. There is no, in other words, I think it's, it's also coming to terms with having those issues, not solving those issues. Mm. But I want to give the notion that you get to a place where you're squeaky clean and stable, and then you can begin. It's not really like that. It's more coming to terms with the fact that you're never fully okay. All you can do is act, right? All you can do is create an environment around yourself where you're taking actions and hopefully those actions over time can help instill in you better sense of confidence, better sense of, better sense of, of self, of, of a stable self. And I think one of the things I've been doing in the last few years is like realizing that my will isn't necessarily strong enough to just make things happen. I have to set myself up for success by writing lists down around me. I've been making lists on my phone of to-dos all the time, but I started actually putting down like on a whiteboard next to me, big letter things that I want to get done. And the more I'm exposed to it on a regular basis, it sort of primes my uh, subconscious brain to get those things done that I want. And a lot of the things I started writing down two years ago in that pre-TikTok Instagram phase when I was in a state of like, even though I'd been doing music and that was working, I was still like, there's all this other stuff. I feel like there are these tools at my disposal I'm not using, not taking advantage of them. And it was very frustrating. I started saying, okay, I'm going to actually do that first step, write some things down in front of me on a daily basis that I'm always looking at, mm. do some affirmations, even though I thought maybe it was not, it was nonsense fluffiness and like not substantial real things. But I started doing that and things changed. Everything I wrote down in 2019, 2019, a lot of the things happened. And then in 2020, I wrote down a bunch of, you could say, goals, systems that I started doing. There's a book I would recommend. And it's called uh, How to How to Fail at Everything and Still Win Big. It's by Scott Adams. Oh, okay, great. He's uh, the creator of the Dilbert comic strip. And he talks about all of his failures throughout the years and how really all of these failures were just opportunities for growth and things that he learned along the way to other successes, you know? 
and he talks about systems in, instead of goals. So instead of setting a goal for yourself, I want to do this and this, you set up systems in place so that daily you are doing things that when opportunities come, you're ready for them. So for example, as opposed to like trying to write a song when the opportunity came and like get it to the right thing, instead just writing music every single day as a daily practice with no particular goal in mind so that all of a sudden when something eventually comes around, I have like a library of music that like I've been developing without even realizing it. And the same applies to writing jokes or material or anything like that. It's not like I'm waiting to book that special and then I'll write something and respond to it because I think, and I'm going all over the place. I know that. No, you're not. I think actually you're pretty confined here, bro. Like, okay, cool. So sorry, sorry. I just, I don't know. Turn on the Peterson, Um, bro. Yeah. So I would just say it's, it's interesting to think that for creative people, Often a lot of creators are very good at being reactive to things. Right. An opportunity comes up. You have 24 hours to turn in your best work. You can do it. Like you can. We do it all the time. Like when there's a deadline, very good at meeting that. Oftentimes good at meeting that deadline because we know by this point I have to do it. So even if it's up until the last minute, you'll stay up all night the night before and do it. Mm-hmm. But being proactive is very challenging. Certainly it's, it, it doesn't come naturally to me or a lot of creatives. I know you're kind of like sitting back and waiting for the next thing and then you jump to the occasion. So we wait for the inspiration it, yeah. versus like having a system, like you said, which right. is so, so important. So setting yourself up to be successful by creating systems where you're you're sort of scheduled that you're during this and this and time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to practice mm. this or I'm going to practice instruments or whatever to try to organize all that creative chaos in your brain. Chaos, you know, all that creative <laughs> chaos in your brain. Setting yourself up for that writing things down of the things you want to accomplish and the systems you need to be doing every day. I have literally a, uh, uh, like a, a thing here of it's every year I write, I write like 2021 systems, right. content, music, final cut, shooting lighting. I wrote that down in 2019 and now I have lighting set up. I have, I have camera stuff. I, 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 otherwise what would have happened is it would have just stayed in here. I really should get some lighting stuff. Hmm. And then it comes and haunts you at a later point when you're down, you're like, look at all these things that you're avoiding. I mean, I talk about this. It's like, make the, make the longest list you possibly can to get everything out of your mind and onto paper. And now it's tangible. Now you don't have to ruminate about like, oh man, I'm going to forget about this. Right? Like, cause our memory is so weird. It's like fleeting all the time. Exactly. So externalizing it into something out of my head so that months later don't go by and I'm like, man, I still didn't do that Mm. thing. I should have done it. It just starts to happen. And you need, I find that for me, I really need those things because it's not enough to just sit in my head and I'll just do it. It's like those little friction points have always tripped me up for many, many years. And I started really figuring out ways to circumvent them. And Tim Ferriss, who I make fun of in some of my videos too, he talks about friction points. The second, sometimes he, he was talking about creating in a video, creating friction points to like separate you from your phone. But for me, it goes the opposite too. Like the opposite is true. The second they come up against a friction point, like This piano, for example, I was always like, man, I got to practice piano. So I should set it up. But like when I'm ready to practice, I'll set it up and do it. No, no, no. Set it up first, leave it next to me. And guess what? I play so much more now because it's right here. It's ready to go. If I want to practice guitar, the first thing, if I want to get better at my guitar playing, the first step is not working on a scale or doing this kind of whatever it is. Or if you want to get your drum chops back up, it's not like putting a bunch of charts in front of you. Yeah, I should do that. It's it's putting the snare near you. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. Or, or, or my guitar near me so that when it's near me, I just keep picking it up. And that that's that first friction point that a lot of people don't get over and don't realize why they're not doing this. Make it easy for yourself. Yeah. There's a lot of little barriers in the way that will stop you from at least, you know, and it's like fitness too. I think it's all, it's all similar to like, you know, leaving your gym shoes out by the door so that when you come home, you see them and that will prompt you to put them on. And then a lot of people say, if you're trying to having trouble getting to the gym, just put the shoes on and the clothes first. 
That's your goal. Not getting to the gym and working out. Put the clothes on. Then the clothes will be on. You're like, all right, I might as well go now. I'm dressed. Like these yeah. are the kind of mechanisms to set up. So to keep you proactive, to keep you creative and, and keep you engaged in honing a craft. You know? So I feel like I know the answer to this, but I'll ask it anyway. As a creative that you are, you know, I feel a lot of people that are similar in the creative realm tend to get overwhelmed. And we've talked about creating lists. We've talked about creating systems, but I'm sure you also maybe at times maybe feel overwhelmed. What would you say to kind of overcome that process of like, okay, I want to get to this place in my life. And you know, you have, you realize that you have a ton of things to do rather than getting overwhelmed by all those things. How do you keep yourself then very kind of, you know, in the real sense of the way, like, how do you keep yourself into, into what's happening right now and not all the things that you need to do? I mean, part of it, I feel like you're going to say it's the list that you've created that keeps it. So, you know, you can take a look, but sometimes you look at the list, you're like, shit, this is really long. This is a lot of stuff. Like, when am I ever going to get around to this? I have four kids. I have mortgage to pay. I have all these things. Like, you know, how does, how do you think about that stuff? I'm definitely, I, I definitely don't have the answer to that one. Cause I'm in that now, especially mm. becoming a content creator, like full steam going in and starting to make content daily. Right. My schedule has been pretty nuts and I'm feeling that pinch of what people call burnout where mm. you're just, especially when I'm in a place where, as I said, like doing these things daily was super important to me in terms of developing those habits. It's like you, you miss a day, fine. You miss two, you miss three. And before you know it, you're like Some off months. that, off that good habit that was very hard to develop. Yeah. Just like people who go to the gym, you know, you miss a week in the gym for vacation, fine. But they, you know, they have to be very disciplined about maintaining it. Otherwise you get soft and you start, start to lose your muscle mass and your gains and those kinds of things. So I'm in that phase right now where I don't feel that my like subscriber base and follower base is steady enough yet. I'm still in that development phase, which is where I feel really, I have to, I'm super committed and I don't like missing any, you know, I like staying true to my uh, commitments of at least posting once a day here and this and that, but, and that, that to me is good to stay consistent. So there's a, a little bit of a fear of falling off of it that drives me. So, cause I don't want to do that. Cause I know that will lead to me being disappointed and, mm. and actually possibly having consequences on the platforms of losing engagement, which I don't want to do. I'm trying to grow and get the stuff out there. But the cost to that is, is can be, is a little bit brutal. It's very, very much a big grind keeping up. And that's, so I'm trying to figure that out by, I, I, by creating more of a really precise daily schedule of like between the hours of literally going in half hour to hour increments, take breaks here between nine, 11, not, or not, you know, nine to 12 is going to be, it's going to be content stuff, uh, break for lunch, this thing, social media posting between, you know, this little sliver in the afternoon, then go to musical stuff in the afternoon, take a break from the video editing stuff at the end of it, wrap up prep content for the next day, that kind of thing. That to me is the only way to do it. And I haven't been doing it well. I've just been reacting to like, Oh, that and dealing with the addiction of like social media and stuff and the lure. It's crazy. But in the meantime, if I meet my base level of getting a piece of content out once a day, like I've been doing, and there was a period I was doing like three YouTube shorts a day to try to saturate the YouTube shorts market of like, while it's still in beta mode, getting stuff into, but anyway, yeah, man, that part is wearing on me a lot. And I have to, I have to, yeah, that's my current sort of battle. But I feel like you, you already like kind of talked about a very good system, which is like going back to the baseline concept. If you have a kind of a lowest common denominator of things that you got to hit 
I think that is the way you kind of avoid the overwhelmed feeling of like, shit, I have so many things. Like I feel that way. I have a million projects that I want to do, products I want to launch, things I want to like sell, things I want to create for a community and all. It's like, but I'm one person. I'm like, dude, you're still like, you have to live in the 24 hours days that you have. So I think it comes down to the consistency of having a schedule, trying to make sure everything is mapped out as best as you can. You're obviously going to drop the ball in many ways that, you know, that you didn't even imagine things will come up. Maybe your, your kid has something and you're like, shit, now I can't go and spend time on TikTok. I got to go take care of this. And I think part of it is like taking all that effort, but then being very realistic with, you know, you got to deal with what's in front of you as well. Like kind of juggling th- both of those at the same time, it seems. Well, I think a lot of people have this misconception that as you get more and more, call it successful, or things start to see that they're actually working or resonating, your stress will reside, right? Mm. Because for a long time, you're like, I got to do, I want to try these things. I want something. How am I know if this is going to work? How am I gonna so let's say you get past that phase, right? Because that's a stressful ball to be in. What am yeah. I going to do? What's going to work? Why? You have no idea. It's a lost, amorphous place, and it's a hard place to be. You're trying to figure the future out. <laughs> The future or what, yeah, what to do. Like, okay, let's say then you get to sort of where I've been there and then you get to a place you're like, oh, okay, something is indicated you should do this because you did something and it actually did work. Okay. All right. Well, now I got to really make sure I live up to that and keep that going and keep that going and sustain that. And then that starts to grow. Oh, great. Okay. I want to do more of this one of this. So you, you, there is this pressure and standard that you develop for yourself. For me, it's also like, I want to do certain things that that, that take a lot of work. I'm a one-stop shop when it comes to, I'm a one-man shop at this point in the development phase where I'm pushing the ball myself. And as I'm finally getting some momentum on it, the ball starts to move. And as it starts to get momentum, it moves a little bit easier, but it also gets kind of bigger, you know? So you just need more output. What's expected as the audience grows and the things that I'm doing kind of start to reach more people, I feel like I'm demanding more of myself to like, get out there and do stuff. So the stress increases and it's just about being able to manage it. And it's a good stress to have. I I prefer that than a stress of being lost and not knowing what to do or, but having a lot to do in one day and not getting to it can also cause. And I think this is true in my experience, having been in the game for like 10 years plus and now starting doing comedy stuff. I think Bruno Mars probably feels the same stress that any, at any level, whether you're Bruno Mars, an indie band, a starting, starting out person who's getting some buzz, just starting out, you know, with time, you, you perceive these other people as, oh, they're set. They've made it. It's really not that much. It's not that kind of dichotomy of a black and white mm. thing where you, you cross some threshold and then you're like, ah, no, I think everybody's worried about their next record, their next thing, their next stand up special, no matter what the level. If you're doing it right, my guess is you're always holding yourself to a standard yeah. and trying to put your best foot forward. And with each success comes new stresses and new different things you have to manage. I love it, man. I mean, it's like, I remember that song that Jay-Z has with Biggie Smalls in the background. It's like, you treat your first project like your last project and your last project like your first project. You never lose that sort of, you know, sight that this isn't going to last forever. Like you really have to care a lot about this, right? You've been given this attention. You want to direct it in the best way you can. And I, I, you know... This is, and this I'm is grateful. Great. I still prefer having the stresses of being busy and trying to figure out and manage things that like yeah. you want those things to manage. But I don't want people to, I wouldn't want anyone to get the impression that it's like, yeah, because people perceive these people as like, look, you know, oh, I remember how I looked at someone who had 80,000 followers once on whatever it's TikTok or something. And I was like, man, that must be like this. But you realize you, you climb the hill of a mountain, you climb the, you know, you're at the top of the hill, the foot of a mountain yeah. kind of scenario. Yeah. You see it's really more what it's like. 
Well, let me change the direction of this conversation a little, because I want to kind of get to know more about your process of doing these impressions, because you're, you're phenomenal. You're really, really good. I mean, if I didn't have a video component, sometimes I'd be, you know, hard pressed to say, is this the real guy or not? You know, like you do, sometimes you get really, really good. So I'm curious because it sounds from the content that I've seen and the way I look at it, you're, you're very like, you study these people. I mean, I feel like you're a fan of Gary, fan of Jordan, and you, you really like, you're, you're well versed in sort of their philosophies, let's call it, I feel like. So it, is that what, like, how do you go about like these impressions and all? Do you, do you really admire the folks that you then impersonate? Is that, is that my, am I right about that? It's not a hard, fast rule. It happens to be that I, I've been following Jordan Peterson before I was ever impersonating him. Gotcha. Um, you know, everyone always wants to know in the comments, I don't get it. Do you hate these people? People don't understand, like, what, what in, the, in the world of comedy, I, what you're here for right now is to laugh. There's nothing else going on here. There's no other agenda. I'm not trying to, even if people who I'm not a fan of, I'm not trying to make fools of them. I'm just doing an impersonation. I'm trying to find the funny hmm. in this particular scenario. That's my goal doing anything in the comedy space, my goal is to make you laugh. Whether what I think of Tony Robbins has nothing to do with this. It's more about what I think about what's funny about Tony Robbins. That's the important thing. Or what's funny about how you can spin Jordan in a comedic way to make, to make it a funny impression. Cause you know, impressions to me are like, are like tools, you know, that are comedic tools, but I'm very much, uh, you know, a believer in the writing being the most important part of it. It's sort of like a guitarist who can shred mm -hmm. and, or, or a drummer with a lot of skill, but if he has no real rhythm or if the song that all that fancy stuff is, uh, is, is not great, then that stuff gets boring really quickly. Right. And like, it, it, it's an impressive skill set. Don't get me wrong. And I, I very much connect to doing impersonations, obviously, but I'm always challenge myself artistically to find the funny and actually write a, a, a sketch that makes, or, or some kind of bit that makes those impressions really come to life and shine. And what people think it's, it's all in the impression, but it's really also in, in what, in the comedic, like meat of what I'm doing, you know, the, right. you're doing your homework is what I'm hearing. Yeah. So, well, Jordan, I mean, people, you know, the process is I didn't say, okay, I got to study Jordan. Like I had been watching Jordan for years. So that came pretty easily. I was able to kind of mimic that stuff. Mm -hmm. If there's somebody, I think there's comedic potential and I don't know their stuff that well, then yeah, I want to make sure there's a bit that really works that I'm doing something that's not like caricature well, and that you're work. hitting their audience and you have to, yeah. to a degree, know like what this person. Yeah, no. About. So I, I want to make sure it's actually funny. Like what's yeah. funny there. Gary V. I knew enough about what I could make funny about his stuff, which is like, do the NFT thing you just did with the freaking garbage. Bag. I was dying. I was dying. Gratitude garbage. Like ultimately like perspective plate, like what I tend to do with Gary. And I notice it as a pattern is like, there's always an element of like, is this guy for real? And he is for real. I think Gary's a genuine guy. Yeah. All he's really telling you, if you reduce it all down is stop watching my shit and go out and do things and yeah. stop complaining. Like he has very, very strong core principles and they're always the same. Stop complaining about everything. Grind and try to figure your things out. I don't really, I, he, his main answer to everything is I don't really have the answer. You just have to try things and experiment and not care about what people think about it. Just continue and do things. Yeah. And you know, Stop caring, stop caring, just do it and stop watching my videos. I'm not going to, that's not going to make you successful. Like, and don't complain if you're, you make certain choices that don't lead to certain outcomes. And those are the things he says. Everyone's like, he's, he's, he's not being real. Well, then they're just complaining because they're not doing what they should be doing. It's not Gary's fault. Yeah. 
They're focusing on him versus themselves. He's in that guru space. So I get why people could sort of misconstrue and, you know, but what is funny sometimes is when he gives advice that, um, you know, easier said than done kind of advice that I kind of take to another level, or I actually give really horrible advice, but Gary would say it with such confidence that the funny part of it to me, if you dissect it is like, it's, it's, he believes it and it's so insane. So I like to play on that, that doubt that people have in Gary, if he's being for real or not, or if this is actually going to work. Yup. Yup. Don't go to college. Don't go to elementary school. Exaggerate. <laughs> Gary says, don't go to college. I'll say, don't go. Forget it. Go, go further. Elementary school, waste of time. Like ultimately, Kindergarten. he's five-year-old <laughs> should focus on building up their business. Like, you know, I love the one where you did, I think you were, was it like a mock podcast? You were like being Gary Vee on a podcast and the guy asks you about like creating content. You're like, you should start as an embryo. <laughs> stick a camera up there. Oh yeah. Stick a camera up there. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, exactly. <laughs> so it's a, to the point where it's absolutely ludicrous. I find the funny stuff happens there. Oh, Honestly, I don't think about it that much. I kind of think like, what's fun. I mean, look, there is a process a little bit, but I, but when it comes to doing the, imp there's the skill set of nailing the impersonation, which is more like a light switch MO. I try to kind of imagine I'm looking in the mirror, but instead of seeing myself, I see them. And so mm. how, do, how do I physically, because a lot of, a lot of good impressionists, like the mark of a good impersonation is not just the voice. That's what you're hearing, but it's everything you embody. So I could do impersonation people and not say a word. Like if I wanted to turn into Gary Vee, this is me. But if I wanted to morph into it, it's just like, I look at what I, what do I see in front of me? And imagine it's Gary is my reflection, right? What, what do I, what's, what's going on? I mean, you got it all. You got, yeah, the, the hat and everything, your facial expressions, it's all there. I mean, that's, you know, part of me thinks that you're just very aware of, of people's things. You're very, yeah, you're very observant. Like, you know, you see. And if I wanted to more from Gary, so I haven't even done the voice yet, but let's say it's like, and I wanted to go to Jordan, it would be something like, <laughs> mm. you know, so before I've even, you know, transformed my being, I've, you know, I really like the physical manifestations important, man. It's bloody important. So that's what I would see. Wow. And you know, there's, there's nailing the inflections and the placements in the mouth and tongue and tone and accents and all those things. But you know, I would say that if you wanted to go back to Gary, like, 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 like I, I, a lot of impressionists will, will do certain things. Like if I needed to get into the Gary zone, like, like, okay, like, like, okay. Perspective, perspective, perspective. Like I'll do those kinds of things. Mm. But first, some people take longer than others. Sometimes it's pretty immediate. I see what somebody does and I can sort of get exactly what their essence is and like transmit it. Yeah. You know, but it's not as technical in the way as like music is where you're like, here's the way to learn this song. Here's the fingering. This is the drum technique. You hold the stick like this. If you want to get double strokes, you know, there's rudiments with impressions and even comedy in general, comedy in general, it's more wild west. It's more just trying to figure out finding that funny is more amorphous. It's more in this gray area and then you're trying to, trying to find it. Mm. And with impressions too, you, once somebody usually cracks it, like other impressionists I've seen crack an impression, you'll see other copycats start to do it because you like, you're trying to figure out what that essence figured out the nuances. Right. So now, you, now anyone can copy those sort of nuances. Yeah, and people sometimes copy them or there's, you know, the, the Trump impressions really ran the gamut. There were so many different kinds of Trump impressions. That's why I kind of like them. But you know, when I show up, frankly, quite, you'll hear somebody do something. So we're like, oh, I just got it. That's it. He does this thing. Uh, or Jordan's, mm, or, well, you know, 
Well, you know, <laughs> ha ha. You know, I'm not saying that at all. You know, like intense Jordan up here. I yeah. don't like Nazis. Not at all. Yeah. That's fascinating. I feel like your music background helps for sure because you you have that sort of awareness of the the tonality portion, right? Yes, like yes, little yes. things. My I mean, ears, your ears, my are, ears are very adept with that yeah, stuff. I yeah. can hear. It's just it, it helps with music. I think whatever the same thing that helps with music helps with uh, impressions. Being able to hear and then you know recreate tonally and timbrely what's going on, like physically. Oh, I love it. I, I can hear where the mouth placement is. I can hear if it's up front. My I naturally can kind of respond to that. And a lot of impressionists will uh, attest to that, you know. So let's say COVID disappears whenever that happens. Like, what is it that you see yourself like taking, you know, as the next phase of, you know, more going through where you said stand up was something that you're you're wanting to explore. You know, what do you where do you see yourself going with all this? Well, I uh, hope to get back on stage music on, on the music side of things because mm. that's been a rough past year, even though I've done a lot of live streams and stuff. I've been performing on stage for many years as a musician. On the comedy side, once it's feasible to do it, I'm going to start hitting it and working stuff out because that's a whole muscle to build up, like delivering comedy on stage as a stand-up. Yeah. And ultimately, I can see probably my space being a fusion of the two a la reggie watts well you know he's an idol of mine like uh idol's a strong word but like he's just somebody like i, I look to as like that's some i really identify with his mm. type of creative like that uh, approach where he does music and comedy and a mix of both things because i can do all that and i think that would be a way to carve out a unique space for what i do mm -hmm. because i wouldn't want to like label myself to say, now I'm just going to do stand up or I'm just going to do music here and there. But like, why not bring the two together in some sort of variety kind of way? I'm sure the music one day will be an asset to whatever I'm doing comedically and vice versa. But in the meantime, I do want to bring the stand up skill set and craft up to par with my musical experience. Well, I also feel like you're, you would make a fine actor in, in some degree, like you, you would do a really good job in like a, like a SNL sketch or like, you know, like a Chappelle show style sketch. Like, have you considered any of that? I mean, I make that stuff and that's about, that's that the only pathway in this environment today to doing those kinds of things is to do them, mm -hmm. you know, like I don't think about like going and auditioning for SNL because it's more that I've been in the game long enough to know that I don't put these one kinds of things on any particular pedestal to say, Oh, I just, if I get to SNL, that'll be it. I've heard plenty of horror stories about being on any particular shows. Sure. Or any, 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 like there's nothing is a, is a, is a golden ticket. Really. It's more about using, and there's no better time to be an independent creator than right now. So I really want to take advantage of the times and the environment that I'm in now to make as much comedic content possible. And yes, it would be great in a long-term plan to partner with other kind of comedic content places, you know, like there are, you know, like Barstool Sports puts out a ton of comedic content. I'd love to partner with bigger entities that do comedy mm -hmm. that could maybe work that I could work with. Sure, that could be something interesting. But in the meantime, at the moment for the short term, it's about building up my presence and my audience uh, for the stuff that I do. And then whether it's Patreon or whatever means to support what I'm doing, I'll explore that. And whether it's getting and then getting them to show up in person for an in-person performance, hard ticket sell, that's another ways to do it, which is why I want to work up the stand-up stuff to be ready to go as a set that I could actually deliver and put together something. You know, those yeah. are the things in front of me as I build up the digital, 
you know, audiences, translating them into real people is the, is the next game and having, having everything ready to go to be delivered is. Do you have any sort of fears around, you know, like you've spending a lot of time on the camera doing the content, like from the comfort of your home. Do you feel like, how will it translate to when I go and do this on stage? Like, do you feel any sort of, uh, fear around that or you feel pretty good because you have kind of the musical getting on stage behind you? you know? uh, no, it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. And that's just the nature of it. Comedy is one of those things where you, you can't rehearse. Right. You know, I've asked comedians about it because from the musical standpoint, you have a lot of things in place where you have to take a lot of time to get good at whatever the musical craft is that you're doing. But before you actually get in front of people, you can do all of that. You can work it out. You can rehearse. You can cover songs. Mm-hmm. It's just something that music affords you that as an art form that comedy doesn't. You can get on stage and play a whole cover set and nobody knows, nobody questions it as inauthentic or problematic. They say, yeah, he's covering Foo Fighters. It sounded awesome. And then you can work out your comfort on the stage as separate from your original material. That, that's something that music allows for. In comedy, you don't go up there and cover other people's jokes. It's not part of the tradition. It's not done. You got to go up there and it's all one in the same, testing your own material in that grind in the lion's den. And, and doing it and going through that painful process. So there's a painful sort of initiation process that I'm bracing for. It's scary, but, uh, you know, I'm okay with that. I think you'll do great, man. I can't wait to come and see you live. If you ever do a show in San Diego, I'm there. You know, so and if you ever come down here to the comedy store here in La Jolla and all, dude, keep me in the loop. I'm you, you have a home down here, so never feel like. Thanks. I appreciate <laughs> no, it. You I'll definitely let you know, but it'll be for me. I, I'm going to have to do a good amount of work and get something to a level where I feel it's ready for like working it out. But the frustrating thing has been that I can't have I, I can't be doing that now by mm-hmm. the limitations of uh, of whatever L.A. and COVID and all that sure. kind of stuff. And that no, makes I, it annoying. But I, what can you do? So I'm just just going to keep writing in the meantime. Yeah. And I think you're just perfecting your craft more and more, the more you do it. I just feel like I've only seen you get better. Like I, I said, I found you last year and like I saw your content and I was like, okay, this guy's really good, but I've only seen you improve, man. Like your impressions have gotten, like, like I said, one of the things that I really was shocked at is if I didn't see the video, sometimes I wouldn't know if it's Jordan Peterson or not, if it's Gary Vee or not, like you're really, really nailing it, you know? So I feel like, I don't know if those two guys or whatever are going to be like your staple impressions or whatnot, but Hey, they're really killing it. Yeah, and Maybe I'll go on tour and I'll fake it out. I'd like, I, I, one goal, one mini goal is to get on Gary's podcast as a Gary V asks Gary V segment. <laughs> I think that would kill. And we just sit there. He's like, you know, and he's just like, he's just, what can I help you with? I'm like, what can I help you with? <laughs> Actually, has he or anybody from like his team ever like reached out to you? I feel like a little bit. I, mean, I, ha- I have some, I have some stuff percolating. I mean, D Rock is co- is comments to me about yeah. that he's like cracking up, and like I, I have a feeling it'll happen, and uh, it'll be a great day when it happens. That's um, awesome. Have you tried? To, I know you tag like uh, he's Peterson's. a fan. He co- Gary comments once in a while. He'll say, "What do you? You know, he'll laugh at stuff. He'll say, this is my favorite one." You know. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. Well, that's good. You know, that's that's exactly what you would want. You know, get into the, these people's recognition pool and and i feel like jordan peterson it's just a matter of time before he finds you i'm sure his daughters he did he's you. tweeted me twice he really he shared my, shared oh, two of my videos and he fantastic. follows me on instagram he's he's watching stories and stuff so it's pretty funny when i'm having him say horrible things and like you know raunchy things and he's watching but i'm like this is fun you know he he wrote a he tweeted out like my jordan peterson first date video he put on twitter so that was cool. <laughs> dude i love it i didn't even know you had youtube i'm gonna check that out yeah, uh, that's I awesome. think it's at AJ Comedy, Ami Kozak Official. 
on YouTube and subscribe because that I put longer stuff there. Good, good, good. Well, man, I had a great time with you. Thank you so much for just good talk, man. Thank you. Getting yes. yeah, getting to this place, and man, I can't see all the good things that you're going to be doing in the future. I'm I'm a fan. I'm always going to be supporting you. So. Come Thank back you. anytime you want to be on the podcast. We'll have this. Thanks launched. for the verification. I appreciate. Well, that you know, really. <laughs> we'll we'll hook you up. You know, we see the potential in you for yeah, sure. Thank you. So. Thank you. So looking forward to seeing the podcast. And thanks again for having me. I appreciate. You it. got it. All right, everybody, all right. check out AJ Comedy on TikTok, YouTube, Instagram. He's all over the place, and he's ready to make you laugh. Go check him out. Thank you, AJ. Thank you for checking out the show. I really appreciate your time. And I can't wait to hear from you. If you want to give me any feedback or want to get in touch, know someone that I should put on the show, reach out to me on Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, wherever you are online, you bet you can find me there. Just search for The Real Abinov. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.